Okay, yeah, since the incidents happened, my daughter is always angry. She's always in an angry mood. She cannot understand anything. It, 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 she gets angry easily, and when she's angry, she just leaves the home. She just gets out of the home, and then she goes to the street. Since my daughter is suffering from epilepsy, it has become worse. It has become worse than before uh, because epilepsy is causing somebody to fall and shake a lot on the ground. Now she's doing that, uh, more especially during the night, she's doing that hourly. But for the first time she was doing it maybe once a day, maybe three times a week. But now she, she falls every time, every day. raped twice by two trusted family members in the space of just three months. The story I'm about to tell you is true. It's devastating and unfortunately it's not unique in South Africa. But before I begin I must warn all listeners that the story you are about to hear is sensitive and involves the sexual assault of a young girl. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Somewhere in Bergersfort, Limpopo, there is an 11-year-old girl whose life will never be the same. She sits quietly on a bright red wooden bench beneath a tree, gripping her father's hand. Her parents fear she is on the verge of another epileptic fit. Since her second rape, the fits have intensified. As her father speaks about the family's anxious wait for her HIV results, the girl watches leaves blow across the dusty front yard of their home. Just a stone's throw away is the outdoor toilet that served as the scene for her first sexual assault. In today's episode of Boots on the Ground, behind South Africa's national headlines, we're going to interrogate sexual assault and the scourge of gender-based violence in South Africa. For Boots on the Ground, I am your host, Paige Muller. We are supposed to be able to trust our family, particularly when we're young. The adults in our lives are meant to care for and look after us. But on Christmas Eve of 2020, a little girl who hadn't even hit puberty yet found out that monsters live much, much closer to home. She was playing outside with her sisters it was the holidays and the family was happy. They were dancing together, smiling and laughing. But all of that changed when her parents and siblings began to peter inside, leaving her alone with her cousin. He was older, 36. Her father's sister's son, a first cousin to the young girl, and someone the family thought they could trust. Now within spitting distance of the location of her first assault, she sits quietly looking at the floor and holding her dad's hand for moral support as he describes what happened next. The wife uh, wondered as to what was happening to the other two people who were left outside the house. So she decided to go 
out of the house and look uh, and look for the other two people the the the, the suspect and my daughter so she di- she did not find them and then she came into the house she carried on with preparing some food but now she was very worried you see she kept on going outside the house searching for for our daughter now and then she went into the house she prepared some food and then she brought the food to me she said here is your food but uh, you must know that i can't find you see now i said you can't find outside they were with with that guy where where, where are they she said i don't know and then she went out again when she came back she told me that hey just told me that uh, that guy raped her you see When her mother went outside to fetch her for dinner, she found the girl standing in front of the house, blood running down her legs. Her mother screamed. Her parents had been just meters away inside the home. Then I went out, I, I saw the guy. Then I asked him, hey, what did you do to my daughter? He said, no, I was not with your daughter. I, I was at my home uh, just to collect some cigarettes, you see. And then I say, now, you mean my wife and my daughter, they are lying. Are they lying, according to you? He said, yes, they are lying. I was at my home. You know, it's not far. I was going there to collect some cigarettes, you see. And then I said, okay, uh, come into the house. And then me and the mother, we helped each other to, to, to check on her body as to whether maybe we could see something on her private parts, you see. Her father says that they inspected the child for signs of assault. According to his recollection, the evidence of assault was undeniable. Adamant to get justice for his daughter, her father confronted his nephew. And I went to the same guy and said, Hey man, you raped my daughter and now I'm going to call the police. You should just go out of my home. So he went out. Then I went to Bratisar police station. I called the police. Then I came back with the police. The police took my daughter to the hospital for for immediate medical treatment just for flushing the dead because we don't know uh, whether the guy was HIV positive or what so she was supposed to be treated immediately. Unfortunately, as is too often the case, despite showing great courage and coming forward with what had been done to her, the 11-year-old was re-victimized by our legal system. When her alleged assailant was released on just 2,000 rands worth of bail by the Praktisir Magistrate's Court on the 7th of January. He was told to go and stay in Leitenberg, which is 60 kilometers from our town, Beggarsford. But we keep on seeing the guy here. And when we try to call the investigating officers about his presence around here, they just say, okay, no, we'll call him and tell him to go away. And that's it. It's a small town. And while her alleged assailant was instructed by the court to move away from the area to protect her, he is apparently often still seen around town, leaving not only his victim terrified, but also her parents, who aren't sure if they can protect her or her siblings. According to her father's recollection, She was raped on the eve of Christmas, next to an outside toilet, while her siblings and parents were just inside the house. 
by anyone's definition, a terrible and traumatic experience. The family was devastated and tried desperately to rebuild when on the 1st of March, under three months later, it happened again. Not the same cousin, but a cousin nonetheless. This time, the son of her mother's brother. Not the same place, but a place she thought was safe, until it wasn't. She went to her grandmother's house after school, where she hoped to play with her younger cousins. The house is just two kilometers away from her parents' home. Her father explains that the girl's 38-year-old cousin was watching the other young children while her grandmother was visiting the store. He took some money and gave to the other children and told them to go and buy some Zimbas and sweets and stuff, you see, so that he can be left with my daughter. And he knew very well what happened to my daughter last year. But I don't know what came to his mind that forced him to do this thing. And then when the other children went to to buy some sweets, he was left in the house with my daughter. And then he grabbed my daughter with his hand and then he pushed her into into her, her auntie's room, yes. And then he took out the clothes out of the wardrobe and then he pushed the wardrobe against the door so that no one could enter since the door did not have the handle, you see. And then he took my daughter and made her lie on the bed. And then he started undressing uh, her and then he unaddressed as well, he undressed as well and then he proceeded with uh, raping her. After raping her, she was given some money and she was told not to tell anyone as she was going to be killed or something. And then she was told to use the money to buy some Zimbas and sweets and go straight home. Courageous. The 11-year-old went home and told her mother what the older cousin had done to her. What had been done to her again. Charges have been laid against both alleged assailants. But while she waits for some form of justice, her epilepsy has gotten significantly worse. And a rift has formed between some of her extended family members. We went to, to my mother-in-law's home, uh, which is her grandmother, and we told the mother-in-law what happened. And we told her that we are going to report this to this matter to the police. Now, when I went to the police, I called the guy because I had his number. I called him and I told him that, hey, uh, there is an alleged case about you here. There is an alleged crime about you. Please come to me. I want to talk to you about it. You see, before I go to the police, maybe we can solve it before I go to the police. Because I just wanted him to be to be near so that the police will not have to search for him for a long time. Then he said, no, my brother-in-law, no, now I'm very far away. I'm going to see my wife in Pinch. You can't find me now. I said, okay, if you do this, then I'm going to proceed to the police and the police are going to arrest you. And this is a big crime. He said, okay, in this case, I'm coming back only to find that he was lying. He was still around here asking for money from his friends so that he could get in the taxi and run away. My, my sister's family, they don't like me anymore. They don't talk to me. They don't call me. We don't call each other. But my wife's family uh, does not support this. 
you see they are traumatized as well and they don't want to see uh, that brother-in-law of mine uh, again they don't want to see him anymore you see but uh, this other family no it's angry with me in fact according to them we should have just solved the problem verbally and maybe they would have given us some money or what so that we cannot proceed with the case anymore this is it's not about us it's about uh, a child and again uh, we don't have a case is there is is our is our child's case this one now we cannot uh, cancel or disturb the proceedings of our child's case because by so doing we will be standing against her while we are supposed to support her while she has the support of her parents the story is not a secret around the small town our reporter Graham spoke to two community members who seem to have lost faith in law enforcement. The father has spoken about the community wanting to take the law into their own hands. Yes. Is, is that the case? And can you, can you describe for me the day that the, the second suspect was caught by the community? What happened? The community is very angry because the, 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 that thing is continuously community was very angry because this happened for the second time. That's why the community wanted to take the law into their own hand. So, do you think the community community members would try and attack if if the sus if the suspects were seen? Would the community members try and attack the suspects or hurt the suspects? The community will attack them because the law can't help them because the law is just the one who was supposed to help them. Do the other younger children know what's going on? Are they scared? Or maybe have their families told them? Or have they asked? No, the family told them because they must be careful. When a man came to them, uh, let's let's go and buy you Zimba. They must deny it. They told them that they must stay away from boys or men or old men because they are rapists. There was a 5% recorded increase in the sexual offences in the three months of October to December of 2020. During that three-month period, the South African Police Service reported that 12,218 people had been sexually assaulted in some way. This is the story of just one of those people. One little girl. One little love. That will forever be changed. For Boots on the Ground... I am Paige Muller. Audio gathered by Zamala Tuli and Graham Hoskin. You are listening to Boots on the Ground, behind SA's national lockdown. Boots on the Ground is a short podcast series documenting South Africa's national lockdown as a result of the outbreak of COVID-19. Boots on the Ground is a true piece of mobile journalism. All interviews, voices and sound effects have been gathered using nothing but smartphones. Boots on the Ground is a production of Multimedia Live, a division of Arena Holdings. Narration done by Samar Lutuli. Audio gathered by Graham Hoskin and Alex Patrick. Sound design and editing by P.
Paige Muller. Production by Multimedia Head Scott Peter Smith. To catch the next episode of Boots on the Ground for free, please subscribe to the podcast on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.